The passage is Second Chronicles, if you want to look it up or look on your worship guide, 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is the word of the Lord from 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins, and will, hear their, and will heal their land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Make sure that you um, say hello to the Carries. I'll just leave it up here. Say hello to the Carries before you leave today. And I noticed when they came in, um, they were huggers. So we are doing our best to social distance. But if the Carries want to give you a hug, you give them a hug. That's just the way that it works. Okay, so we're going to jump into this passage in a moment. But first off, I wanted to say this to you. This is one Sunday, um, and this is, this is the second time I think that I've done this since I've been at Redstone Elizabethan, where you're going to see me not like veer off course and just kind of share my thoughts. You're going to see me stick pretty closely to uh, my, my notes. I'm probably going to read my notes to you. Okay, so last week, we're taking two weeks, and last week we talked about this theology of kindness. But it wasn't just a theology of kindness to be talking about it. It's with the pandemic. It's with political unrest. It's with racial injustices and just these deep-seated divisions that exist, civil unrest all around us. We kind of came to the conclusion that in the midst of this, we should be the kindest people on the face of the planet. Our response should be different. If you haven't listened to that sermon, we encourage you to go and do so. This morning, though, we are going to look at specifically one of those four that I mentioned, the church's response to prejudice and racism. So I'm not going to go off script. And the reason I'm not going to go off script, this is an important topic. There's so much that's happening in our world right now. I don't trust myself, um, so I'm going to do my level-headed best. Um, Camp Redstone kids, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us. And Rachel, thank you for getting those packets together because they've done a really, really good job of listening. In fact, last week, I learned how many times I said, what were the words? God, kindness, there were these others. And they had to like check mark every time that they would hear me say a specific word. So Rachel gave me the results and I learned some words that I shared. So I'm going to stick to my strip today and Camp Redstone kids, just pay close attention because this is an important topic. So the question would be, are we preaching this sermon as a reaction to the George Floyd controversy? I would have to be honest and say, partly yes, but it goes deeper than that. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon used to say that he prepared his sermons with the Bible in one hand and with the newspaper in the other hand. And we believe that the Word of God, the totality of the Word of God, speaks to everything that we go through in life. And there's this word extrapolate, and extrapolate means you take what he said to King Solomon years ago, thousands of years ago, and you extrapolate it. It's kind of like a slinky. You just stretch it to 2020. So we're taking this 2 Chronicles 7.14 passage, and we'll get to that later, but we're going to extrapolate it as a call to repentance for us as a church in 2020 if there is repentance that is needed. So I remember as a kid, uh, Delmar, it was his name. And I, you know, I grew up in Carter County. I've shared that before. I'm a Carter County boy. And Delmar was the lone black student in our school. Uh, there were none other than Delmar. And I was reflecting upon a lot of things these past couple of weeks. And one of the things I was reflecting upon was just what he had to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis in um, a county that I think is 98.6% white um, back in 1980. 
you know, because it was like daily, the grief that would come his way. Um, it was just hard, and it was harsh, and words were harsh. And I didn't think that I participated, but looking back on it, the jokes and the things that we would laugh at, I did. I heavily participated, and I felt guilty over that. So some of you all, in your minds, you will be able to insert a name. Mine happened to be Delmar. And as I am sharing this, and I didn't pray openly with you guys because we've already prayed this morning, but I am praying that anything that's coming from my own mind and my own heart would fall to the ground, and we would only hear what the Spirit of God is trying to say to us, and we would only hear what the Word of God is trying to say. Because there's a lot of content, and there's a lot of emotion, and people oftentimes are thinking with their emotions or they're thinking with logic, and we'll look at some of that, but it's going to go deeper than that because we are going to look theologically. Okay, so let me give you some definitions. Prejudice, this is the definition of prejudice. You can look it up online. Prejudice is a preconceived opinion or feeling typically formed beforehand without knowledge, thought, or reason, usually about a person or people group. And prejudices can be positive or they can be negative. They're not always negative. Um, examples. If I know someone who is a Democrat or a Republican, or someone who watches CNN or Fox News, or someone who um, attends First Baptist Church or First Presbyterian Church, um, First Presbyterian USA, which even makes even more of a difference, or is dressed preppy or has athletic gear on, or lives in Roan Mountain, or lives in Northern Johnson City. Sorry, I had to pick on the mid-Oz. And um, if, I, if I know these things about someone before I've even connected with them, my mind comes to, to some conclusions about them. Early on, I think it was like the second sermon that I preached here, we talked about these geographic prejudices that we all have. You know, so the people in Nashville kind of make fun of the people in Knoxville who kind of make fun of the people in the Tri-Cities and Kingsport scoffs at Johnson City and scoffs, you know, it goes on and on and on. And even, even in Carter County, it's like, oh, you're on the eastern side of Carter County. At least I'm on the western side. You know, these prejudices are real. And that's not any kind of slam for anybody who lives on the eastern side of Carter County. I'm just saying that we do these things and we do not even realize it. So it's geography, it's skin color, it's socioeconomic status. So for Camp Redstone kids, to kind of to summarize this for you guys, it's looking at the way someone dresses, the kind of car that their parents drive, the size or color of them and you form an opinion about this person before you even get to know them. That's what prejudice is, okay? Now, racism takes it a little bit deeper. So let me read the definition of racism. Racism is a belief or doctrine that inherent differences among the various human racial groups, okay, racial groups determine cultural or individual achievement usually involving the idea that one's race is superior to another race, or they have the right to dominate another race. And you form opinions about them before you even you know, realize it, just based upon those facts. Okay? So examples would be, easy examples would be white supremacists that would say that they're superior to blacks. Everybody knows that that's a good example. A flipped example of that would be my son Caleb. He was on Nevis Island when his wife was in med school a couple of years ago. And Nevis Island is like out in the Caribbean, and they were like the only white people on the island. And he somehow was on, you know, got invited because he played college soccer to be on the soccer team. And they were having like a big game, and the center ref walked over to him and said, "You know, you're white." He's like, "Yeah." I know, he's like, you know that this is going to be a really hard match for you. He's like, well, why do you say that? He said, they're going to take it out on you because you're white. And he was like, okay, whatever. And then he tells a story about just war. They were going out of their way to hurt the white guy. So that's like the flip side. And we're not used to that. But he was like, I was just glad to get out of that game alive. You know, I had real pain, you know, for a month or so. Um, you know, then you look at Hitler, you know, Hitler, who would say the Germans are superior, the Jews are dogs, in fact, so much so that the Jews should be killed. Those are extreme examples of prejudice, 
And the prejudices that we might delve into today may not be so extreme, but they may be real nonetheless. Okay, so these are cultural issues. These are social issues. These are political issues. These are civil issues. And these are even legal issues. And they're very complex. We all know that. But our desire is to address each of these and focus on them primarily, and this is, this is key, as theological issues. So the lenses that we're looking through today aren't social or political or anything else. We're only looking at what the Word of God would say and what the Gospel would say. So these are theological issues. Last week, because we're online, as a side note, I found myself kind of like going over here and going over there, and then later we found out that people were watching online, like a couple hundred people, and they saw me every once in a while, and then I would be gone, and then I would move around. So I'm trying really hard to stay here in the middle uh, today. Okay, so this is going to take us to truth number one. Okay, truth number one is that all human life is valuable because we are made in the image of God, okay? Because we are made in the image of God. Imago Dei, Imago Dei, Imago Dei. You all want to say that with me? I invite you to if you want to. Say Imago Dei. Okay, Imago Dei comes from Genesis 1.27, and it just says that we as human beings are made in the image of God. So it's a Latin phrase and it means image of God. Imago Dei, image of God. So all of mankind was created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, with unique abilities that mirror the divine nature of our Creator, which other created beings do not possess. All individuals, all humans are created imago Dei. And therefore, borrowing from our Titus 3 passage that we looked at last week, and therefore they should be given, remember this, perfect courtesy. Perfect courtesy. Why? Because they're made in the image of Almighty God. The gospel is the great equalizer. It reminds us that we're all sons and daughters of Adam, no matter what color, no matter what continent, no matter what accomplishments, we all have fallen short of the glory of God, but because of our belief in the gospel, we understand that. And listen to these words. This is from Colossians 3.11. We understand that here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There aren't any divisions because we're all image bearers of Almighty God in my good day. Or listen to this one. This is from Galatians 3.28. These are important verses for us. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and there is no female. Again, The gospel is the great equalizer. It should change the way that we view all mankind. We see them in one of two categories. They are either fallen individuals that have found a Savior, or they are lost individuals that have not found a Savior. Those are our two categories. The gospel changes everything. Um, Camp Redstone, I mean, I remember the song that I learned as a kid, Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. We learned that, and the message behind that was an Imago Day message. We are all created in the image of our Creator, Almighty God, and therefore we should love and show courtesy to all people. This subject is too big for one sermon, and I do uh, fully recognize that. We're going to skim the surface, uh, but it's an important start. We have to start somewhere. We're going to look at the way in which prejudices and racism impact us, but then we're going to move on as quickly as I can to what our response should look like. 
Okay. I mentioned this last Sunday, but a couple of weeks ago, um, a local white pastor in our area told a group of local African-American pastors in our area that he didn't think that we had issues with racism in Upper East Tennessee. And I told you that that wasn't received very well. So here's just a couple, and I'm just mentioning a couple. You, you, you live in your own world, and you've got your own people that you work with, and your own neighbors and own family members, and you could give your own examples. Um, but here's just a couple. So a church in Elizabethan, uh, not long ago, they had a, a strongly orthodox um, organization that we all probably know was coming to do a seminar at their church. But they found out as a church that this organization were okay with a black man wearing, marrying a white woman or a white you know, man wear, marrying a black woman. And when they found that out, they just said, no, that's unbiblical, and they told them that they could no longer come. That was just here. That, was, that wasn't that long ago. Um, so understand this, because this is a teaching opportunity that when you look at the Old Testament and you see that God says for the Israelites not to intermarry with the Amalekites and the you know, Canaanites and so on and so forth and all of the other you know, ites that are out there, this was symbolic of what the New Testament teaches us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's the same reason that you know, the Word of God would tell us that we need to marry Christians instead of unchristians. We should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That had nothing to do with nationality. It has to do with God's people not intermarrying with people that are not people of God. My friend and my mentor... John, um, which I hope that you guys get to meet one day. He is my 80-something-year-old um, African-American um, pastor. Um, he's very white. He's got, you know, um, the, the South American um, dialect, and he's just got a, a, an amazing voice. But when he moved from being a missionary and pastor in Africa, they ended up landing in Irwin. And this is not that long ago. Okay, so he comes into Irwin, and sure enough, the KKK presented um, a flyer to him on his door. That's what they do to new people that move into the area. So, hey, we have a local KKK. We meet. If you're interested in this, this is how you would contact us. That's here, people. That's in our region, and that's, again, not too many years ago. Um, I mentioned this one a couple of weeks ago, but I want to mention it again because it's made the news three times this week. So I referenced a few weeks ago that in our area that we had in Carter County, we had um, a protest two weeks ago. And at the protest, there was a couple things that showed up. One, an individual actually showed up with a rebel flag, and another individual actually showed up with a KKK hood. Okay, so I didn't mention that one before, but the rebel flag was the one that I mentioned. And then after looking at Romans 14 last week, I was like, this is a great example of what was happening in Romans 14. So again, if you missed that sermon, go back. If you don't know the passage, go back and read Romans 14. Because it's just a flag. There's nothing wrong with a flag. You know, we're proud to be Southerners. There was a country song once upon a time that said that if the South would have won, we'd have it made. Is that in a song? Do you all know that one? Um, anyway, if not, maybe it's just the older people that are here. Um, but it's a symbol of the South, right? And for years, the rebel flag flew over the, you know, the state of South Carolina. It still flies partly over the state of Mississippi, but they're changing that. This week, there, there's legislation that's coming out, and they're changing that. Um, and the armed forces are you know, changing that, and they're taking the rebel flag off of you know, anything related to the armed forces even NASCAR has banned the rebel flag. Why? It's just a flag, and there's nothing wrong with a flag. But what's happened, rightly or wrongly, the rebel flag actually means something to someone else. So when individuals show up at a protest with the rebel flag, they're not saying, man, I love the South. They're not saying that. They're saying something deeper 
and it's racist, and it's prejudiced, and the other people would know that. African Americans know that, and it causes pain, and it causes anger, and it causes frustration. So the question in Romans 14 would be, why would you do that if you know how people are going to receive that? And if you say, well, it shouldn't be that way, then jump into the debate, you know, and let's help people to understand the true purpose behind the rebel flag. But it sounds like we've already lost that debate because it already symbolizes something else. So we have to love our brother more than we love our freedoms. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the flag. It's just a flag. But if you take that flag and you bring it into an open space where there's where there's already anger and there's already emotion and there's already people that feel like that um, there's people that are racist against them. When you flaunt that flag, you are saying something deeper. It is that we are better than you are, and we cannot do that. There's a lot of other examples. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through them, but I would encourage you to consider this topic in view of Imago Dei. And we as a church have to be willing to respond to the living God. Okay, so do understand the behavior that we see today from the protests and the riots to the burnings and the lootings, the political debate, it cannot and it will not bring about permanent change. We need to understand that. The well-meaning pastor who said a few weeks ago, quote-unquote, that the answer can be found in the voting booth in November. He's simply wrong. The answer is not going to be found in the voting booth in November. There are no new laws um, eradicating, eradicating the police force and defunding the police force, uh, bringing in a new president. These will not fix prejudice and racism. I'm sorry, but they just will not. Why? Because the root of the problem is our very hearts, and only the gospel can bring about change there. Only when we understand, no matter our color, no matter our background, our fallen condition, compared to other people, it doesn't matter. My fallen condition and their fallen condition um, enables me to see the gospel and embrace God and understand his call and his understanding a part of his call is that we we show that we're Christians by the way that we love one another that we are to love our neighbor you know and that um, impacts color and these other prejudices at a deep level because it enables us to see uh, beyond those things okay side note lots of things are coming out of people's hearts right now there are some who genuinely have a righteous anger, okay? And Jesus had a righteous anger. In fact, the Word of God says that we can be angry but not sin. So there are some individuals who have that right now. There are others who are allowing their anger to like overflow to the point that they just want to hurt somebody, right? There are others that say, I don't want to hurt anybody, but man, I want to burn something. And there are others that would say, I just want a free TV out of this. You know, this is a great opportunity for me to get something free. All of those are heart issues, and they're all different, but that's what confuses the message that's trying to be portrayed right now, and it helps or it hurts us from being able to hear the message because we see so many different responses, and a lot of them are not righteous. It's just sin in our hearts from the root issue of prejudice and racism. Okay, so our first step as a church then is to go before the Lord, and that's what we're doing right now, and it's a simple prayer. I borrowed this from the Psalms. It says, search our hearts, O God, and see if there be any wicked way within me. Okay, do I inadvertently, maybe not intentionally, but do I inadvertently esteem myself higher than other people or even openly? Is it in my heart? How about the church universal? How have we done? Not just Redstone Elizabeth. And do we see different races coming together on Sundays? Do we see it in community groups? Again, not just in Elizabethan, but in general. And if not, why not? And how can we be a part of the solution instead of being passive? And that takes us to our second truth. And we're going to step into this because a lot of people may be hearing this and saying, 
he's talking to somebody else in the room, but he's not talking to me because I don't have any struggles here. Okay? So truth number two, there are two types of repentance, individual and corporate. Individual and corporate sin and individual and corporate repentance. Okay, so individual sin and repentance is easier. And I made last week, because we are so spread out, you know, we made notes for you guys to fill out in your worship guide if you didn't see this to make it a little bit easier for you because I know that not everyone will be able uh, to see this. Okay, so individual uh, sin and repentance. When I sin, I recognize my sin and I go before the Lord and I repent and I ask for forgiveness. But we don't talk about corporate or body sin and repentance much, but it is biblical as well. Let me just give you a couple examples. And thanks to Tim Keller, if you all know who Tim Keller is, pastor up in New York City, for reminding me of these things um, this past week. Okay, so consider Joshua 7. In Joshua 7, the Lord was very clear to the nation of Israel that they were not to plunder from whomever it was that they had gone against in an attack. And Achan, one individual, said, man, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and he hid these things. And here's what the Word of God says. It did not say Achan did this, but rather it says, Israel has sinned, they have transgressed, and the punishment came upon the whole lot of Israel. And then they cried out and said, but Lord, what have we done? And the Lord was able to point to an individual that was a part of that body. If one part suffers, the whole body suffers with it. That's one example. There are several more. Um, Or just think about the sin of Adam. Adam and Eve, their sin is taken and it's applied to all humanity. So that these babies that are being born into the world, I call them little bundles of sin. They are born in sin because of what Adam and because of what Eve did thousands of years ago. It's not always related to sin and judgment. In fact, sometimes it's just the opposite. So think about this when we went through the gospel series. One sacrifice, one perfect sacrifice from the perfect Lamb of God is able to bring forgiveness and redemption to everyone who would believe. Okay? Do you see that? So there's blessings that can come as well. Or God saying that He will relent and not bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah if there are only 10 righteous people in the city. Well, there weren't, unfortunately, but the Lord would have. Um, or even the blessing that comes from one believing spouse married to an unbeliever, that these, these blessings are passed on to the unbelieving spouse and the children. It's in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. I don't understand all of that, but there's some benefit that exists um, corporately because of one individual who is a believer. Here's why this matters. Okay, you may be looking at me or at yourself and saying, I actually have no prejudice or racism in my heart. I mean, I really don't. Okay, then I would go back and say, well, how about the church universal? How about the church in Upper East Tennessee? One body many parts, one part suffers, we all suffer with it. Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer that we, the body of Christ, would be one as he and the Father are one. So finally, we're going to go back and we're going to look at the passage that um, Andrew read for us early. Before we do so, a little bit of a context here for this passage. So 2 Chronicles 7.14 is given to Solomon right after he has dedicated the temple. There is a time of jubilation. I mean, the word of God is being proclaimed. People are worshiping. There's singing. There's dancing. There's drinking. There's, there's a party that's taking place, okay? And it's a righteous party because the temple of God has been erected um, and we need to celebrate that. And the Lord receives it, but then quickly he pivots. He says, in this moment, you all are worshiping me and you're following me. But then he looks forward and says, pretty soon this mountaintop experience will be gone and the sin in your heart is going to come out and you're actually going to turn from me. And when you do turn from me and when you do sin, and specifically I'm talking about racism and prejudice this morning, but he says, when you do Here's the prescription of how you can repent, okay? And he starts this off in this passage. You may not have noticed it at first, but he gives us this great if-then 
scenario. Okay, there's this great if-then scenario. So if, first off, that just signifies a choice. We have a choice to make whether we repent or not. But he says, if you'll do this, then this is what will happen. And that's what I'm going to do for the rest of our sermon time this morning is just to walk you through the if and the then. Okay, so here's a couple examples of if and then. If you stay out in the sun, then you will get burned. Okay, that's just the laws of nature. If you study hard every day, then you will probably pass the test. There's exceptions, that's a generalization. That's just the law of work ethic, okay? If you clean your room, then you can go outside and play. And that comes from the law of mama, right? So if shows that there's a part, there's a, a choice on our part, and then he would go to the then. So let's walk through the ifs. So we start off, my people who are called by my name, truth number three is that this is a corporate if-then. Okay, Judgment and change in his if begins with the people of God. Judgment begins with the people of God. Change begins with the people of God. If we don't change, we have no chance of helping our world to change and to get this stuff out of their hearts and to turn to a Savior. 1 Peter 4.17 says it this way. It says, It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Because when we change, when our repentance produces fruit, it impacts everyone around us. It's the kind of repentance that sometimes brings one-on-one confession or corporate confession, or it changes our views, or it changes our opinions, or it changes our attitudes, okay? But it's that kind of repentance because it's not this quick confession, but it changes our actions. We produce fruits in keeping with repentance. It's those kinds of things that the world can see, and it makes the gospel very, very attractive. But it has to come from the heart, okay? If not, if we are just looking at prejudice and racism and saying, yeah, man, he's right. We probably need to do a better job. I am so sorry. And then we go back and we continue doing what we were doing before. It's a false if-then confession. So, for example, if you don't tell your sister that you are sorry right now, then you cannot go outside and play baseball with Johnny and the boys. Okay? So there's an if and there's a then. But did you hear the then? Then I can't go play baseball so if Johnny, I mean, if, if the, the boy looks at his, his sister and says, I'm sorry, and she says, okay, now you can go play, is that a true confession? No, I just want to play baseball, and I'll do whatever I have to, to to get through the laws of mama for me to be able to play. Uh, but that is not true repentance. If we apologize individually or on behalf of the church, but it does enact some kind of a change some action on our part, then it is a false if-then confession. And the Lord can see right through that. Okay. If-then. Humble themselves and pray. He says, if you will humble yourselves and pray. So we'll just walk through these quickly. Humbling themselves, it speaks of humility. It's a brokenness. It's a contrition. Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will never turn away from. He will never despise. God is right. That's what I'm saying. God is right. There's sin in my heart. I have no ability to change on my own. So what do I do? I humble myself. I bow and I confess, you are God. I am not. I am utterly and completely dependent upon you. And oh, I am so sorry for this sin that is in my heart. And that humility then produces these prayers. We begin to pray to the Lord. Um, it's just an extension of our, our humility and under, our understanding of our brokenness. And it should push us to Him if we understand the gospel. Now understand with Adam and Eve, what did their sin do? It drove them away and they went and they hid. So my, my quick kind of a rabbit trail would be, don't do that. And you've heard me say that before. When we sin as believers, we don't have to run and hide anymore. 
Adam and Eve did so, the Lord came and he found them and he clothed them by killing an animal, which was a depiction of the fact that something would have to die to cover their sin. Jesus has already done that. When you sin, you don't have to run and hide anymore, and neither do I. Okay, so it's the gospel that when we humble ourselves and when we're broken before him, we run to him and we say, oh God, I am still in need of a savior every single day because in these areas, I see that you're growing me and developing me and I'm learning um, how to walk in Christ's likeness, but I didn't know it, but there's prejudice in, in my own heart. There's racism in my own heart or corporately, as a body of Christ, it's in us. We think that we're better than our black brothers and sisters. And we can see it in our actions. Oh God, forgive us. So we pray and we seek His face in the spirit of Jeremiah 29, 13. You know, you seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When we need the Lord like we need oxygen. Or like we need water then he will be found. It's not this passive repentance. A true humility is what the Lord is looking for. True open and honest prayers. A true running to him and embracing the gospel and truly seeking his face will lead to us turning from our wicked ways. And we know from our Gospel 101 series to turn, that's just repentance. That is simple Repentance, changing your mind, which means you then change your direction, which means you then change your behavior. All of that is a part of repentance. As it relates to the sin of prejudice and racism, honest confession to my church. I'm still trying to figure out what that should look like. I'm trying to figure out what are next steps. I don't know. I don't have the answers. You know, I was the guy that a couple of years ago started struggling with some of this. I didn't know what to do. So I asked a friend of mine who was African-American, I said, who are the most influential um, African-Americans that exist at this time in Johnson City? And he told me, and I said, would you be willing to have coffee with me and them one morning? And we began to have that conversation. And it was awkward and it was hard. You know, I've reached out to some people this week. Same thing. You just got to start somewhere. I don't have the answers to how we need to change, but sitting back and doing nothing is not good enough. It's just not good enough. We have to take steps toward our brothers to understand them. And our default, and I think that Luke said this last week um, when we were doing our share time, you know, our default is we fear that which we don't understand, and therefore we don't do anything. Okay, and then we jump into the then. Then signifies God's response to our repentance. And look what the Lord says. I will hear from heaven. You know, there's access. The veil has been torn through the, the body and blood of Christ. He says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. First John 1, 9, we know it well. Um, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and He's just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then He says something remarkable. He says, I will heal their land. So it's not just their individual sins. It's collective. It's the nation. The only hope, and hear me on this, if you don't hear anything else, we, I love the South. I love Tennessee. I love Elizabethan, right? But I love America. The only hope that we have in America is the gospel. It's the only answer to the heart sin issue that is so prevalent in our society, which is quickly, which is quickly pivoting toward we hate Christians and what they stand for society. The only answer is the gospel. The only answer. But understand this. This is important so that you don't walk away from some kind of a false conclusion. Prejudice and racism are only one part of this situation that we are struggling with in America. They're one part of the bigger elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. 
So I don't know what we need to do, but we need to do something. We need to take a bite somewhere, okay? And racism and prejudice are one part of that. But man, when I look at the sins in our land, just the number of legalized abortions, the eradication of what the Bible says that a marriage and a family really is, the gods of materialism or the gods of you know, political parties. I mean, and I could go on and on, but these sins run deep. There are lots of things that we need to repent of as a nation. Um, it's not just the sin of racism and prejudice. But the truth of the gospel and the results of true repentance can lead us to change and healing our land. We have the answer that everyone is looking for. Everybody's looking for identity. You know, everybody is looking for a purpose for life. And we have that. We have that in the gospel, and we have to be willing uh, to share that. So, Imago Day. Imago Day leads us to this. Imago Day, the image of God, all mankind are created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, unique abilities. I've said this earlier, that mirror the, um, the divine nature of God. We have to be willing to love everyone because of Imago Day. So, we should, because of the gospel, because of Imago Day, we should esteem, this is, I'm just borrowing from scripture here, we should esteem others better than ourselves. Not just equal to, and definitely not just below, but the scripture says to esteem people as better than yourself. That's what Imago Day does. We should love our neighbors well. We should strive for and seek for unity. We should seek um, relationships with people that are different from us and not let our default be that of fear. God, I saw this last week. I was in South Carolina. We were doing some work for a friend of ours at his house, just a bunch of shrub stuff. And there was one night we went out and um, just we went to the ocean and just I was like, look at this. You know, and you could just see that God is the master artist. Just everything just screamed master artist. When I looked at this, this, this picture, this canvas of that particular evening, but he sees the same thing when he looks at humanity. And we try to separate and segregate because it's easier for us. And God says, no, come together. Because whether we like it or not, or whether we realize it or not, heaven is going to be full of that. Intermingled people from all races that are going to come together and they're going to be casting their crowns and they're going to be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And we're not even going to see each other because the glory of God is going to just take over. That's what it's going to be like. And if we think that Jesus is white and he has blue eyes and we're the ones that get it, we're just completely missing it. But this is why we must understand this. Okay, so the KKK showing up in Irwin, the church locally within the past few years that says, no, you can't come here because you believe in mixed marriages. These are our parents or these are our grandparents. So it's not like quickly all of that's been eradicated from our area and now there's no prejudice or racism that exists in our area or that exists in their, this church. It's there. It's there. I know that it has to exist within some of us because it does with me. I see it in just little things that come out and I'm just embarrassed by it. And we have to do better. So Sam and Cam and... Um, Nanette and those guys, they've got a friend that they were talking to last week, and this, is, this was his quote. He says, people outside the church are doing more and seem to care more than the people within the church. We've got to do something. We can't let people outside the church that don't even have the answer for life and death and sin and forgiveness somehow show up and start trying to do something when we're just sitting back. And I think I referenced this a couple of weeks ago or last week because that's like the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan. That's the priest and that's the Levite saying, that guy has need, but I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help that individual, so I'm just going to do nothing and I'm going to continue going my direction. At least the Samaritan showed up and did something. Okay, So it's not okay to say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, let's at least begin the conversation and let's do something, which is truth number four, 
change begins with me. I get my little circle and I draw it around me and it begins right here. And then you do the same thing. And then we do the same thing for this body that exists here. And we say within this circle and within my circle where repentance is needed, I will repent. I will be honest with my confession. I will humble myself before the Lord. As a body, we will repent. And then we begin to take that even beyond here and outside of these walls. That's the way that we're going to change. Change begins with me. Change begins with you. Racism and prejudice, it's a part of our society. It's a part of our fabric. And it's not okay to do nothing. We have to do something. Okay, typical Redstone Elizabethan fashion. Throughout everything that I could throw out in a short period of time. So what's happening in your hearts? What's happening in your minds? Is there anybody that wants to share? And if you do, I actually have a microphone for you this morning. Anyone? Okay, Jennifer. Um, one thing that hit me this week, I was meeting with one of my students that's black. And she's a new Christian that I've been discipling. And one of the things that she brought up, because we were talking about all the issues going on, she said, why are the churches still in our area so segregated? She said, we have our white churches and black churches. And she said, and her boyfriend's white, and she's black, so they don't go to church. And so that was a real good point. And I thought, man, it'd be so nice to see more color in our church. Yeah, and we can't force what's not there because we are a predominantly white population in general. But where there are people of different color, they don't usually mix with um, the white church. And you're right, we have to do better than that. Others, thoughts, questions, confessions, ponderings, musings. Musings, is that a word? Um, I did something that I think helped me a lot was to just get off of social media entirely and just look up things that I wanted to know about, wanted to research and talk to people in actual conversations one-on-one -on -one when I felt the need to. And that helped me a lot because there's still a kind of, it's really easy to get defensive because there are out, people out there um, saying, you know, this is a problem and you need to consider if you're racist. And it's really easy to get just offended at the people that are doing that, not out of love, but just out of attacking and saying, you need to be the change, the church needs to do better, but it's like said in a really harsh way. So having avoided all of that so that I wouldn't have this kind of defensive reaction to all of the, there are a lot of people saying that, um, you know, black people should be lifted up, which I agree with, and then saying, but if you're white, you should be put down because you've done like wrong things, like being guilted for just being white I think by, I, I don't, that's just hurt me at times seeing some of the things online. So taking myself out of that completely and just coming from a daily in my life and my realm of influence perspective has helped me be a lot more <laughs> willing to just, to just dig through things because small or big or, you know, there are ways that I can improve. I've been thinking more about how I have prejudice or just assumptions against people that I see that are very different or have a certain accent or, you know, like all kinds of ways that my brain just kind of filters through my life experiences. That's true of all of us. Um, it's not always just a black and white thing, but it's the people in our area. It's the people we're not used to interacting with. It's all kinds of people. And just asking Jesus to remove that filter of my experiences and culture and differences and seeing what he sees. And that includes the black community, which we, I don't interact with a lot around here. Um, and so there's a lot of lack of experience there. But I think just removing myself from the, the virulence and the, the, the aggressiveness and the hatred online has really helped a lot with just calming down and seeking God personally and not thinking about, you know, everything else. So Very that's good. helped me a lot just to be humble. Yeah, thank you, Becca. Anyone else? Or Next. You got Larry? Yeah, I'll say, um, great, thank you, Jerry. That's, a, that's really hit me. I, this week, I had a client at my job who was 
talking about some of the stuff going on, just current events, and he said some some stuff that I didn't agree with, pretty prejudiced, or just racist stuff that he said. And at the time, I, I didn't agree with him on the spot, but I didn't I didn't really disagree with him either. And in the professional setting, I always find that challenging. But this has really challenged me that, and and talked with my wife a lot too, that um, in the sense that it, this does start with me, it does start with with just being able to, to speak out against some of the stuff he said. And, and that's awkward in a professional setting and it's it's awkward when I think about clients, you know, that way, but but that's, I think that's really hit me confessionally that, that I didn't I didn't step up this week like I should have. Um, and I'm gonna really try to rectify that if I can. Um, and um, so thank you, Jerry. Thank you yeah. for the humility you approached it with. It really, really struck a chord with me. Yeah, very good. Michelle. Yeah, Jerry, I appreciate what you said to you and brought up, but um, just Larry kind of going off what you said, the, the kind of the positive note that we have is that just like that, what, Amaya Diago, Imago Day, you know, like mm. it's not about our opinion. Like, you don't even have to present your opinion to that man. You can say, you know, God, our creator, has made us all image bearers. And because of that, I will humble myself to that. And, I, you know, and, and you can leave it at that. And then it's not about you. And the other cool thing is that we do have the answer. You know, like, we have something to offer. And first, we need to offer it to ourselves and say, hey, where do I stand in my heart? Um, but that is like we have Christ came to set us free and we have that freedom to offer other people. Um, and so I just think that's really special. It's really cool. Like we have it. Let's get it out there. Yeah, very good. Sunshine. Hey, before Sunshine speaks, let me just say this because it's bouncing around in my head. You know, one of the things that came up when we did like an internal survey that that people really loved about Redstone Elizabethan was that all walks of life that have come in here have felt comfortable. You know, so we've had people that have really struggled or that people have had, you know, dr dr you know drug you know, backgrounds and just made really bad decisions in life, but they've come in here and they felt comfortable and that makes me happy. Okay, so we want that. We want people that are lost, you know, but got questions, you know, to be able to come here and to be able to have a conversation with us without us looking like or acting like that we're better than them. Because it's not true. We've all got stuff. And anything that they've done, we've either we've done or we wanted to do too. You know, so it's just part of our heart. But I want it to be the same thing with just the different races. I want people of color, you know, or just people that are different from us to come into Redstone Elizabeth and, and just feel like they were one of us. So we've got work to do. It's not there yet, but I do hope that that is a part of our culture. Okay, Sunshine. Um, I wanted to say that just like when you were talking about Adam and Eve and the sin being passed down from person to person, the bundles of sin and that kind of thing, racism has been going on and passed down from generation to generation. People have been brought up, and it's their lack of experience, their lack of uh, relationships with people of other nationalities. I came from Baltimore City. I was up there for nine and a half years when I first moved up there from here. Culture shock. You know, I was thrown in the mix with, you know, probably every nationality that you could possibly think of being right there in the inner city. Uh, the people that I worked with, the way that they raised their children. If you are only mingling with people of, say, your own race or whatever you don't you don't have that experience you don't really know so uh, I would just encourage you individually to maybe step outside your own comfort zone so that you can have those experiences but people that have been born and raised and only solely live in this area do have a lack of understanding as far as what else is out there in this world and what else yeah. is out there in this nation. And I, for one, have a lot of interaction with those that are not the same color as me, that are not the same nationality as me. 
and I have for one seen and had them with me and their kids and my girlfriend, you know, with the people that turn their nose up because of the killer of the children's skin. And, you know, it's weird that they give like sometimes the children grace, but the looks and the, the feeling of uncomfortability that I have just in the way that they look and even her and then to be like a part of that. And then the, the um, interaction that I see with people with my own children and then the interaction that I see when I have them and then the, in, the lack of interaction within, you know, and it's just, it's, a, it's weird in a way to watch these things kind of like go down, but yeah. I don't think that the church should compare themselves to the world necessarily and like step out so far that it's not coming from like a really genuine place i think that the church should kind of like pray about it and these things will happen oh so naturally i'm not saying like do something i'm not saying don't do something but i'm saying just try and expand your experience and expand those people that maybe you would ordinarily talk to you because we are all made, you know, in God's image. Imago Day. Yeah. Okay. I've got time for um, one more, maybe, if there is one more. Okay. Yeah, Tom. I, I, I was just thinking how um, pro probably part of what's going on right now is if you are we're re, in our society, I think we're probably reaping the whirlwind of a worldview that, uh, for, for instance, if you just take an evolutionary versus what we talked about this morning, creating it created in the image of God approach, an evolutionary approach would see like the Australian Aborigines as some something between apes and people. Mm -hmm. And the Christian worldview is that we're one race. We're all descendants of Adam. And when Julie and I lived in South America, working among Yanomami Indians, a very primitive culture, hunters and gatherers, it, it, it was astounding to me that the problems that they had in their society, one guy deciding to steal some other guy's wife, were right out of country music songs right here in East Tennessee. And you realize we are one race, mm. that, that the problems that, that we have and that the Yanomami community have and that the black community have and that the Australian Aborigine community has, it's the same, it's a sin problem. And how the Christian worldview is a unifying perspective in that we are one race, a common need that, that is met through Jesus Christ and that the, the more that we're able to, to share that message with the world is, a, I believe, a very unifying thing. Yeah, yeah, very good. So you're, you're jumping into a deeper conversation as it relates to, you know, what evolution and an evolutionary worldview has done, past tense and present tense, to our thinking about all of these things and the, the influence that it has had on us is tremendous. Now, there's no time to continue that conversation this morning, but it's real. Because if you believe that, well, I'm, just, I'm not going to go off on the rabbit trail. So um, thank you for bringing that up. So let's do this. Um, we got, we've got about 10 minutes left. Are you okay with saying one more? Okay. So let me um, just go with you guys together as a body as a broken people that are trying to figure out answers. And let's just bow before the Lord and pray. And then we're going to sing one more song. And then um, Larry's going to come and do announcements for us. And then we will continue the conversation. Okay, let's continue this conversation. Next week, though, we do step into Philippians. So that'll be exciting. So let, let's pray together. Lord, I, I said this earlier. Um, Lord, search us, O God and see if there be any wicked way within us. Lord, our sin is great. Our questions are great. Our desire to do the right thing is great. 
Lord, in the gap of knowing what to do is great, we are just in dire need of you. Lord, we do rejoice, though. If nothing else, we've been reminded this morning that we have been created in Mago Day in the image of Almighty God. And that is why we have hope. And Lord, that is enough. We don't need more than that. So may we rest in who you've created us to be and may it change the way that we see all of mankind, that we would consider each person better than ourselves and each person just in need of more and more of the gospel. Search us, change us, help this conversation to continue. In Christ's name I pray, amen.